The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 40 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, His disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The season of Lent begins in great solemnity with the imposition of ashes and the words, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In my Ash Wednesday sermon, I talked about how important it is to confront the reality of the fact that we are all, each and every one of us, going to die. Because in facing that reality squarely, then we come to realize how utterly dependent on our God we are as the source of our life and our hope. And how wonderful the good news is that Christ has risen and he has trampled death by death. And so it's entirely appropriate that during this Lenten season, we should be doing a series of sermons on end-of-life issues. And today, in some ways, is particularly poignant and personal because it is about preparing our own funeral. It's not something that we like to think about, but it puts us squarely into recognizing that reality. We have funerals because it is important to make a clear statement that death does not have the final word. God has the final word. And that final word has come in the passage of our Lord Jesus Christ through his own death to the great victory of the resurrection. 
leaving instructions for those that are left behind when we depart this world is actually a great gift to those that we leave behind. Because as a pastor, I can tell you over the years, everyone, including your priest, wants your funeral to be something that expresses your relationship with God, your life before God, what God has done in your life, and how you want to share that with others. Most families really don't have a clue as to what we would like at our own funeral. And to have advanced instructions is a tremendous gift. And I have seen how it helps families through their grief to be assured that they have honored the wishes of the one who has passed away. So we need to overcome that hesitation about confronting that reality in our lives. And we need to overcome the temptation that often comes with doing your will, that once it's done, you're going to die right then. I mean, it's silly, and we all know that, but most of us have that <laughs> little thought that happens that when we make those preparations and it's all done and we're ready, oh my gosh, it's going to happen. Just keep before you what a wonderful gift it is to your loved ones and to your priest to have those preferences and desires uh, down on paper when you pass away. This morning, out in the narthex, um, and I put them by the service leaflets, so hopefully some people saw them and, and picked it up. Um, but there is a funeral planning guide and worksheet for uh, St. Andrew's Church. Um, I got this the last time I was here uh, in preparation for today, and I have to say, this is wonderful. <laughs> I wish that I had created such a thing or had access to such a thing. I don't know whether your priest did it uh, himself or whether he got it from another source, but it is marvelously um, uh, detailed and, um, and, and really helps you through that process of knowing what arrangements uh, people should make. It's, I'd like to walk through it uh, for those that didn't pick up a copy and for those who are looking at this online. Um, I'm not going to look at every detail. Um, that's not the purpose of this morning, but I do want to talk about a couple of things as we go through. The first page is basic information, and a lot of that just gives information for whoever is going to write whatever obituary goes into the paper or uh, is posted uh, through the funeral home. The next section is called Care of the Body, and it talks about whether you want to be an organ donator, 
whether you want to donate your body for research. I actually never ran into that until I started serving at Ascension in Westminster. And up there, for some reason, there were a whole bunch of people that had uh, chosen to do that. Um, it, is, um, it is a wonderful thing to do when you think about it. Uh, we say donation for research, and in some cases it is research that is done. In most cases, actually, uh, the bodies are used for medical students to be able to get a look inside the human body for the first time with their own eyes. And, and articles about um, that process and, and how it goes always emphasize what tender loving care and respect is shown for uh, these people who have given that gift to them in training. But if one chooses to do that, you need to be aware that your body will be immediately taken um, and, and what the family will have in the end, sometimes several months down the road, will be your ashes after cremation. And there will be not a funeral, but a memorial service uh, in its place. So there are things to, to think about there. And speaking of cremation, uh, whether you desire to be cremated or to have a body burial. Um, over the history of the church, there has been a lot of ambivalence about this feeling. Um, and a lot of faithful people in the pews uh, have inherited a lot of that ambivalence. And it really has to do with the fact that we are people who um, experience God sacramentally. The outward and visible sign of that inward and spiritual grace is so important. A lot of us in our culture really have more of a Greek notion of what happens to us after we die. That we're kind of a dualistic creature. There's the body, which is really insignificant compared to the spirit that departs and, and lives forever. That's not the biblical viewpoint. And in a couple of weeks, Father Jason will be doing a sermon about just that, um, about the resurrection of the body. Even after we die, our body is still part of who we are, who we were, and who we continue to be in God. Now, of course, once we die, the body decays. And cremation is just an acceleration of that natural process. So there's really nothing wrong with it, except for how important the body is um, for those who are left behind. Let, let me share with you how this comes to Becky and me quite personally, um, because intellectually, we're fine with cremation, but at emotional level, it's it just something that we're not comfortable with, at least not 
until the funeral is over. What raises that issue for us is one thing that Becky and I are clear about is we want to be buried in a churchyard. We don't want to go to a private cemetery someplace or um, you know, owned by some big corporation. We want to be buried in a churchyard um, because the church has been our lives. And the obvious place for us at this point uh, still uh, would be at Ascension. The only way to be buried in the graveyard there is to be cremated because they just don't have any more space for body burials. And so um, they have a columbarium and, um, and we're beginning to get a lot of friends there. Um, and that is kind of the default for us. But what we both want to do and I have recommended this to other people as well, is to have the body at the funeral and to be commended to God, and then from the funeral to go off to the crematorium and have a committal later uh, when the ashes return. But that's just us, and those are the kinds of things that we need to think about and that it just is enormously helpful to the family to know what we would prefer in that regard. Then it goes on to visitation. All right, again, as a pastor, I have spent an entire career trying to lead by example in consistently saying it is a visitation. It is not a viewing. The purpose is not to gawk at the body. The purpose is to have a time that people know that it's okay to come by and share their sympathies and their grief with you. It is a set time when they know that they will not be an imposition. The presence of the body, if it is there, and particularly if it's an open casket, is that sacramental peace. It is an opportunity for those who perhaps haven't seen you for a while to be able to more easily and more readily say goodbye. And sometimes it can be a real comfort pastorally, depending upon the circumstances of one's death. And in my own life, I've experienced both. My mother, was um, able to die at home. And um, my father and I were there. My sister uh, quickly followed. Um, she died in her own bed. She was obviously very, very ill, um, but she didn't look too much different than she had always looked. Um, and I, I've always taken comfort in having been able to say goodbye to her at home. My father-in-law, on the other hand, also had cancer. And in the end, it was rather ghastly. Um, he uh, developed sores that popped out all over because of too much radiation, basically. And, um, and he just was not himself.
the funeral director did a masterful job of restoring him to what he had looked like before. And so the last memory for my mother-in-law and for the rest of the family was of Howard as he had been, who he was, and not who he had become in those final days. So it works both ways. Um, but that is the purpose, or I should say those are the purposes, to be able to help people to say goodbye, but also to... But the main purpose is the visitation for people to know that they can come and be with you, uh, with your loved ones, uh, without feeling like they are imposing in any way. Then it goes on to the overview of the service itself. And there are a bunch of individual questions, you know, where in church, at the funeral home. That's another place where, in my pastoral experience, things really differ from community to community. When I was in Southern Maryland, it was almost unheard of to have a funeral in a funeral home. There were visitations at the funeral home. But on the day of the funeral, the family would gather at the home the pastor would come and have a prayer and lead the procession to the church. Um, here in this area, um, and having grown up in this area, I'm very familiar, it's about 50-50, uh, one way or the other. Um, and uh, so, you know, knowing what your preference is, is important. Um, and then, uh, but the main decisions that need to be made about the service uh, are really uh, connected to the resources on the next two pages in this uh, workbook. Uh, and that has to do with the scripture readings and with um, uh, any music that you want to have. Um, because we have a set liturgy. <laughs> And so the way in which that liturgy is uh, made personal is th through those two means primarily, the, the lessons we pick and the songs we sing. And it is a marvelous way for you as you prepare and say, what would I like at my funeral? What would I like to have people hear? What do I want to say about what God has meant in my life, and how God has, has sustained me and given me hope all of these years. Um, and so, reading through those scriptures uh, and choosing um, and looking through the songs that are suggested uh, might trigger even another song, as long as it honors God, uh, it would probably be uh, acceptable. Um, I do want to say that uh, <laughs> in my own uh, statement of preferences, um, I, there is one thing that I have been uh, quite insistent upon, um, and it, I have to confess, mea culpa, it's, it's not quite exactly as the rubrics imply, because the rubrics of the prayer book says, 
one of the following, one or more of the following passage from Holy Scripture is read. But what I would like as an epistle is one that comes from another set of lessons under For the Departed. And it comes, it's that passage that we hear in the lectionary every three years from 1 Corinthians chapter 4 um, about those who have fallen asleep in the Lord. Um, we who are alive at Christ's coming will not precede those who have fallen asleep. But at the sound of the trumpet, the dead will be raised, and we shall be changed, and we shall meet together with them in the skies. That has always just been such a source of joy and confident hope for me to contemplate. Um, I can't think of anything better for a statement that I would like to make and have people know about what this life of faith is all about than that passage. And I even made a note at the end of it. I said, I realize that this service is as much for ministry to you as it is to me. So if there are things that you, my loved ones, want to include, even if you have to push a few other things out of the way, that's fine but don't change that epistle. <laughs> so I, I hope whatever priest or bishop does my funeral will honor that request. There's one more decision to make, and it's not in the workbook here, but if you indicate in this section that you would prefer right to um, service, there is an option with the prayers. Um, and if you could grab your prayer book there from the pews um, and turn to page 497. These are the prayers of the people in right to communion, or, uh, funeral service. But look at the rubric on the bottom of the previous page. It says, the following form of the prayers of the people is used, or else the form on page 465 or 480. 480 is just the prayers in right one. Um, but 465, turn with me back to that. This comes from a service that is not often used um, because, frankly, even if the priest is there, in a lot of cases, it just seems more appropriate to be more extemporaneous as far as prayerful support is concerned. But this is a vigil at the time of death, and it is offered as an option uh, for the prayers of the people in Rite too. And it's worth looking through, uh, because a lot of people prefer that uh, to the one that is in the service itself. Obviously, after the service, there is the committal. And there is a section on the committal. Um, do you have a grave site? Where is it? You know, all those kinds of details um, are in that section. 
And then finally, uh, the issue of a reception uh, after the service. There's a statement about um, the availability of these facilities for such a time. Uh, it can be very important, especially if there is not a visitation beforehand, because again, it offers a time for people to be able to chat, to remember together, um, to have that uh, looping slideshow uh, of pictures from the family album and all those kinds of things uh, that are all part of moving through uh, the grief process. And then the last page uh, has to do with memorial gifts. Um, if you uh, would like people to uh, consider certain, consider St. Andrew's Church or other charities, um, and um, there, this whole page just guides you through that process. It's a bit of nuts and bolts, but it's something, as I said, that is just a wonderful gift to those that we leave behind. It will allow them to feel like they are honoring your desires. They will have a clearer idea of your own relationship with the Lord and what that has been over the years, uh, particularly since most of us tend to be relatively private about uh, such things, even in the midst of our own family. Um, and in the end, it allows for a service that can truly honor God as well as be personal to you and to invite people to join with you in those words of St. Paul, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The last word is life. The last word is God. Amen.